Damaged Goods Podcast. The, uh, the magnetism, the hypnotism, if you will, the hypnosis, um, just the powerful energy that's there. Because, yeah, you could rock out at the crib with the nicest, uh, you know, stereo system. Maybe your boy Rocco Vincenzo Moschetta hooks it up and you got a ridiculous turntable and the sickest speakers and all your favorite records. Maybe you're whipping in the car. Maybe you like to have that crazy sound system that people can hear from, you know, two blocks away. And it sounds like the earth's shaking and the cops want to profile you for that. And you just draw attention to yourself because you can't help but blast it really loud when you roll around. Maybe you're zoning out on the orange line or the six train or, or you're walking or in the bus and get your headphones on. Maybe you get the little ear pods. They're in there. Or you get the big, fat, expensive, like, whatever, Beats by Dre or noise-canceling joints. And you're just grooving. And music is, is, is a beautiful, powerful thing. It does a lot of different things for a lot of different people, right? It's an escape. It's motivation. It's inspirational. It's soothing. It's educational. Um, you know, if you're a musician yourself, an artist, you, you, maybe you study what you're listening to. But it's something about a live show, a concert, if you will. I just say live shows. Some people know it as a concert. They may be like, show? What's a show? TV show? Fucking program? Knott's Landing? Dallas? Three's Company. No, no, no. We're talking about a live show, a concert. A lot of powerful shit happens to people when they see music live. Because it's not just you in the headphones. Or you and your boys in the whip. You're not, you know, in the comfort of your own crib on the couch with your system bumping. You're at a concert. It could be 300 people, 3,000, 30,000 people. And, you know, that mom mentality thing. Uh, you, you like the music. They like the music. You're all fans of it. And then you see everyone grooving. It kind of intensifies, right? And there's a lot of things that can take place in the show to make it memorable. And that's what I'm talking about here on Damage Goods today. That's what Jake the Snake, Jake Frazick, same thing, same guy. Just because it says Jake Frazick now and I, I write books, don't mean I ain't Jake the Snake. I was Jake the Snake before I was making music. It's a childhood nickname. I just like to rep my last name now that I'm an author, but I still go by it. Anyway, I digress. I digest. Uh, when you say memorable, people always think it means... Oh, it was a great thing. Well, that's just if it's a good memory, right? What I'm talking about here is memorable concert moments, memorable live show moments. That does not mean the best live shows I've seen. I'm, I'm going to discuss some wild, memorable uh, concert live show moments. And you can hit me, DM me, whatever, share yours, uh, whatever. Maybe we'll do a part two. But when I say memorable, I'm not saying it's the best performance, best show ever, although some of these might be that. It doesn't always mean it's a good memory, like, oh my God, like, you know, maybe you proposed to your girl at one, or you found, uh, you know, $1,000 on the floor, or you snuck in and it was a crazy night. It could be those things. But what I mean by memorable is something that makes you remember that show, that concert, that live show more than others. It could be maybe something bad happened. I hope not. Maybe something wild happened that you aren't even a part of, but you saw it over there. Some little extra things that enhanced the experience. Because that's what a concert is. You know, yeah, you can listen to music and maybe you're hitting the DMZ pad. Maybe you took a couple caps and stems and you're zoning out and the music's really hitting you at the crib or, or on the beach or in the headphones. And that's memorable. But when it's live, um, there's a lot of other factors that come into play that are out of your control. 
that can enhance the experience. That's what it is, right? It's an experience. You're there. You're seeing the band. Maybe you're in the first row. Maybe you're side stage. Maybe you're backstage smoking weed with them. Maybe you're fucking in nosebleed seats far away and they look like ants on a jumbotron. But it's an experience and you got to deal with the crowds and the other fans and the scalpers and the security and the lights. And is there a sound issue? Are they bringing up some guests, some wild guest appearances that just make it crazy or something nuts happens? Maybe it is a bad thing. Maybe there's a fight. Maybe you were in a fight. Maybe something fell out of the sky. Maybe the, uh, what, the fan man. That's real early 90s for you. Uh, or some shit like that. Memorable concert experiences I'm sharing. Uh, and again, like I said, these aren't the best shows. This is saying, Jake the Snake's top five live shows. I could do that one too. But these are just some memorable ones. And again, I'm reemphasizing memorable here doesn't necessarily mean good. There's some fucked up things I'm sharing uh, that I'm not saying are cool. I'm not a Darcy's. I'm not saying this is what you want in a concert. But these happen and they stick out in my head. Sometimes these concerts, these shows even though I've been to some amazing ones, like mind-blowingly great positive experiences, just a great performance by some artists I love or I'm surprised by that I never really knew about. These ones I'm going to discuss here stand out because there was some other extra shit. The show could have sucked too, maybe, but this, this little situation uh, it makes it stick out of my mind. I remember it. So we're talking about memorable um, live concert experiences. And in no particular order, I'm going to go all over the place. This might be from me being a young kid, a fan, me being a, an artist, a musician, performing, whether hip-hop shows or with my band, or me being a roadie touring uh, the world with different artists and bands and seeing crazy shit happen. So one of them, um, that if you've read my second book, The Waiting Room, which is available on you know Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, any link in my bio, uh, the opening, um, the opening chapter, I discuss going to a Pink Floyd laser show downtown, kind of warehousey district, L.A., uh, eating booms on the subway down there because I didn't want to drive back, getting there so they hit at the right time, seeing the cool fucking cover band laser show, and then walking through, I don't know, blocks and blocks 25, 30 minutes of Skid Row at 1 in the morning, tripping balls, dolo, to get a fried chicken sandwich at Birdie's in downtown L.A. Um, that's not what I'm going to discuss here because that's in the book, but this one kind of ties into it. And this is actually seeing Pink Floyd, not a cover band, not a laser show. Oh, I should say Roger Waters, who was kind of the front man for Pink Floyd. You know, he did a lot of the writing. He didn't always do vocals. Sometimes David Gilmore did, but he did a lot of them. Um, and this was performing their album, The Wall, in its entirety at Fenway Park in Boston. And The Wall is, uh, Roger Waters wrote most of that. He prides himself a lot in that. And when he tours now, uh, he tends to do that one. So I want to go see it. I love Pink Floyd, especially at the time. Crazy musicians. Fenway Park, a place I've been going since a kid. Never been to a concert there. Can't find anybody who wants to go. My father's in Mexico at the time when he's still alive. Nobody wants to go. Fuck it, Snake Man going dolo. Um, I think I took, I don't know if I walked, which would have been a troop. I was living in Fort Hill, Roxbury at the time. 
but I would walk home later. But anyway, so I go to it. I don't have the greatest seats, but I don't need them because it's, dude, like, unless you're right there, you're so far away from them. It doesn't matter. Like, if you're not in the first 10 rows, you might as well be back far. Plus, their video walls are crazy. Pink Floyd's or Roger Waters' performance is insanely intricate. They've got the big flying pigs and all these floats and lights and sounds and crazy. And it does pretty awesome when you... You got the psilocybin flowing through your body, so I grub some boomers dolo. This is a, a reoccurring theme, uh, FM way, and it's uh, it's the shit. I'm having a fucking blast. There's a f- what I think is a family, but the kids look to be maybe late teens, early twenties, and it's just cool to see the moms and the pops and the kids, you know, grooving to the same fucking music there, and they're smoking weed in Fenway, which is something I hadn't seen before in all my Sox games. But that was pretty ill. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm like reading up on a cap and a stem every so often just to really get the appeal, or not the appeal, the, the feel right, you know, pace it out. At one point, I go to one of the concession stands, and I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of friends work at Fenway um, over my time as a, as a human being alive on this earth. Most of my friends would be vendors, you know, like, peanuts here, get your peanuts, or when I got old enough selling beers, which is the big one. But there ain't vendors running around today, but there's the concession stands. And I go to the one closest to me, and my man Sunshine, who used to be a DJ in, in, in Boston, a hip-hop DJ, he's working the concession stand. And I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't know he worked there. Whatever. It's cool. I'm, I'm kind of tripping, but not really too hard yet. And uh, he hooks me up with some, some gummies, some fruity candies. And there's that old wives' tale street legend, urban legend, folklore, not sure if it's true or not, that like anything with vitamin C enhances the the psilocybin, the mushrooms. It kind of intensifies it. So I get, I think like, I don't know, some fruity candies that probably barely had any vitamin C in them, just, you know, citrusy things, and I get like an orange juice. But I, I tend to get munchies when I, I'm on psilocybin, and I like fruity shit, candy shit. That sounded funny, fruity shit. I just like the sweet fruitiness of, of, <laughs> of, of, of the candies and the juices. It's kind of soothing me. And it's, I think it's like early fall, so it's, it's a little warm, but it ain't hot. And I'm having a blast. And then I, uh, I don't know if I'm going to the bathroom or something, but I'm, I'm out in like the, the concourse, and I run into this girl that I know. And I know this girl in the biblical sense. Cool-ass chick. Uh, we never, you know, dated per se, but we knew each other in the biblical sense, which means we fornicated a few times, and we're cool as hell. I haven't seen her in a while, and it's all peace with me and her. It's, that's not awkward. It's not awkward to see her. The awkward thing is, I'm tripping, and I see her, and she's at the show, which is cool. That's great. You're at this fucking Roger Waters Pink Floyd show, but she's there with her mother, who I've never met, and now I've got to be introduced to a mom, and I'm kind of tripping hard at this point. Maybe all the gummies that Sunshine gave me worked, and I have to like play it off which I don't know how well I did at that. Probably not that good. Um, and I find my way out of this. I don't know how I segued to going back to my seat. Maybe I went to the bathroom. Maybe I faked it. I don't know, but I got away. And when I got back to my seat, I was like, oh, thank God, sanctuary. And, and the, you know, he did the album, The Wall, in its order of the entirety. So it's just like getting real climactic and just the floats are flying around the lights and I'm having a blast and it's so good. And when the show ends, I don't even remember... Um, you know, run into this girl and her mom and if I was weird and awkward. Uh, I don't remember how I got there, but I know I'm going to walk home. I got a joint in my in my 
pocket on my persons. So I walk from Fenway back to Fort Hill, Roxbury, which isn't stupid for our Boston is a walkable city, but it ain't that close. But it doesn't matter because I'm feeling good. Every step just feels incredible. Like if these were my last steps, I would be fine. And I blaze a joint. And I'm, I'm basically like singing to myself the whole way. It's like I have headphones on. It's like I'm still listening to Pink Floyd. And it was an incredible show. This is a case where this was a very memorable concert because of all these things. But it was also an incredible performance. I really enjoyed it. And Roger Waters uh, killed it. Pink Floyd fucking killed it. I highly recommend you check it out, especially if you see it in like your favorite ballpark on Booms Alone. All right. Numero dos. Memorable concert moment number two Coachella you guys have heard of it it's a big festival in California Indio near Palm Springs big music festival uh in my days doing roadie stuff for different artists and, and bands um you know you do festivals too usually you're doing tours but you'll do festivals too and Coachella is one of them and it's a two-weekend thing and in the meantime between the two weekends there's you know five days where you don't have to do shit usually, uh, but you got to go back there. And if you, you're lucky, if you get your artist or you get your artist, the artist you're working for performs on Friday because then Saturday and Sunday you ain't got to do shit once you're done. You get an artist pass. You get the same bracelet the artist gets. So that means you could be on stage when anyone is. It'd be a dick move to be side stage if it's not your artist because you're taking up space. But you can move around like an artist. You're not out there with the regular people. And I don't mean to say that in a disparaging manner, but it's a very different experience. I've never done Coachella as a fan, and after you know working for artists being there, I don't think I ever could. You, you, you enter through the artist lot. You're backstage. You could bring in whatever you want, alcohol, drugs, whatever, but you're backstage. You get the, the AC, the free waters. There's clean, fancy, nice bathrooms, food. You could sneak out, you know, not sneak out. You could enter the, the you know, the, the regular grounds and watch the show as a fan with all the, your people that might be there. Because I had friends there, a lot of them that weren't working. But I can escape back to the AC, to the nice clean bathrooms with no lines and free water and, you know, whatever else you got, you know, stashed in the, uh, the Sprinter van. And then you go hang with your friends and you see how they're doing it. And you're like, good God, how do you guys deal with these bathrooms? Especially the girls, oh my goodness. And like, you know, you can't find any peace and solace. And you got to wait in line to pay $18 for water and $45 for beer, $1,000 for a slice of pizza. But if you're working, your friends all want you to bring in certain substances and things. So you do that. But whatever. So I'm working for an artist who has a Friday night show. It's cool. Show's done. Uh, Saturday, you know, I'm there still. And my friends still have a hotel for the rest of the weekend because the artist I'm working for is done. They don't give us the hotel, but I can stay with my, my friends on that Saturday night or that Sunday. So I'm going to, you know, enjoy the festival with them, but I get to, you know, sneak back there with the artist bracelet. I get to enjoy the the luxuries, if you will, and not be out in the desert just sweltering, hot, expensive, grimy bathrooms. I don't even know what the bathrooms for the regular people would like because I wouldn't dare check it because I had these nice AC trailers back there. So anyway, work's over. Uh, a gang of my friends are there as, as fans. And I got maybe two other friends, homies of mine, who are also working for artists like me. So they got the artist bracelet. But we're all part of the same group. So we're going to wild out on Saturday. And wild out we do. I mean, you know, it's a festival. People are on all kinds of things. And that's what would be my situation. And this is the first year I did it. I, I toured, you know, as a roadie before, but I hadn't done Coachella. And I just moved to L.A. to 
first this the first year second year so this is a big thing all my friends out in LA bought mostly Boston people but some LA people like oh Coachella it's a cool thing and this is you know seven eight years ago um and so I'm excited for this you know whatever and heads are just gonna get groovy and all faded and uh Flume, I, yeah, Flume is, is headlining Saturday night on one of the bigger stages. And I got friends who are into all kinds of different music, but some of the shit they're into, you know, man, some it's like dubstepy shit. Like, I gotta be under the influence of a few things to, to deal with that, to tolerate it, let alone enjoy it. But there's all kinds of ill artists, so you could bounce around. Uh, we're, we're going pretty hard. We're going pretty hard. I'm pretty going pretty hard because I'm not working and I've got the luxury of it. And my friends are all going super hard and they went super hard Friday night when I had to work. So I'm very impressed by the resilience. Flume's on. Sun is starting to go down. So maybe he wasn't the main headliner, but he was second to last. There's about seven different, allegedly, you know, for the entertainment purposes, like seven different substances flowing through our bodies, flowing through mine, you know. Uh, and, and maybe they came into my system at different times in the day for different reasons. And you're feeling them at different times, you know, a little wave of this guy, a little wave of that guy. And while watching Flume, there's like 12 of us, mostly, like I said, mostly homies and homegirls from Boston with a few of their girlfriend, boyfriend counterparts from L.A. there, but we're all having a blast. It's not hot. Now the, 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 the air's cooled down, you know, the dark night is slowly creeping in we're, we're enjoying it and you know you got a little cannabis a little ganja flowing through you to relax you maybe some booze especially backstage my friends were drinking like warm ass piss booze that i snuck in for them it's like straight jameson and water and nasty shit in plastic bottles while i'm going back and making cold drinks and then maybe a little psilocybin in there some caps and some stem there might have been a little uh peruvian flu in there you know um some marching powder to keep you up and awake. Then there's some molly to, because it's a music festival, of course. And then there's sassafras, which is like herbal natural molly, which I don't really understand that, but that's in the uh, the system too. And then there's fucking Adderall, which I hate. That's an amphetamine. I don't fuck with that. But somehow that's in there. So there's all these different things, and it's like a roller coaster. You know, 20 minutes of this feeling, then 20 minutes of that. And, you know, some of my friends have to take a, a seat for a second in the middle of this giant crowd, catch their second wind, come back up dancing. And, uh, you know, everybody in this whole whole field is, is, is wilding out. And you're not really aware of everybody because you're in your own zone going crazy. And it's great. And it's fucking fantastic. And then, you know, later the show's over. And I'm going to go back with these guys to their hotel. The, my artist, uh, Sprinter Vans, have already left. So I got to walk through the crowd to the buses that go back to the hotel. Dude, it was like, I don't know how regular fans do this there. It's late. People have been partying all day. It's like 12 midnight, 1. They've got these fences that kind of run these little shoots going back and forth. You know, like a, like any big concert. But this is leaving to go to the buses. But these are like fences that look like, you know, the, the opening scenes of Scarface when they're under the underpasses in Miami. And like, I mean, I'm not trying to be fucked up, but it looks like when they're... Like, everyone's so fucked up and faded and drunk and tired now at this point from dancing outside in the sun. Oh, they probably dehydrated from all the MDMA in the system. Everyone looks like zombies getting, you know, they're all in these lines with these fences that do not look attractive waiting for these buses. It looks like we're getting shipped off somewhere. It's kind of eerie, like shipped off to some camp, you know, and... uh I'm waiting in this line, getting on the bus with these people, and then, you know, it takes a while. I got to wait for the next one, then they got to drive. And I'm like, how do y'all motherfuckers do this? This is crazy. I was spoiled back there. 
And uh, yeah, I, I was like, never would I pay pay money for that. I'm getting paid to do this. Y'all are paying to do this. Y'all are crazy. But hey, different strokes, different folks. But it was a great time. And uh, just wilding out to this flume set, which was great, but just feeling all these different things rolling through your system, in and out, up and down, left and right. Wild times indeed. Um, another memorable show, and this is more of a great performance, good times. I like to go to concerts alone. I mean, it's better with your friends or somebody you can enjoy it with, but I got no qualms going alone. Sometimes it's better if, if you know... You ain't got nobody who really digs the artists you do. Like, you don't want to bring someone who's going to be like, you know, looking at their watch, when's this over, whatever, whatever. So if you can't find those counterparts, go alone. You're going to enjoy yourself. It's South by Southwest. Again, y'all know this festival. Austin, Texas, very popular. This is back when I'm making music. This is Jake the Snake, J the S time, right? Uh, I think this is my second South by Southwest. So I've already performed it. I did it three years in a row. And some days, you know, you might have two, three shows. Then you might have nothing the next day, and then one after that. And uh, it's cool because there's so many different artists of all these genres. You can bounce around. You go to these parties. You can catch other people you want to see live. And uh, there's a night where this band Gangs, G-A-Y-N-G-S, Gangs is playing. Gangs is like a 30-person band, mostly from Minneapolis. Uh, Justin Vernon from fucking... Uh, Bonnie Vare, my fault. Bonnie Vare, stoner moment. He's kind of like the ringleader of this, and it's him, some Bonnie Vare dudes, uh, Polisa, another incredibly ill band from Minneapolis, with two drummers, I might add, uh, Harmar superstar, and some other artists I don't know. But they had this this band, Gangs, this super group, and they made this one album that I fucking loved. It was just so incredible, so groovy, so different, and it's crazy to think you got thirty people, you know, on this. This album, you could hear it, different vocalists on different tracks, just maybe contributing a little bit here and there. So anyway, one night, South by Southwest, second night. I, I did a show the night before. I got a show the third night, nothing this night. Gangs are playing at this sick-ass venue I'm aware of. Nobody wants to go, my manager, the other dudes I'm with. Fuck it, I'm going. So I go to this venue. It's open air, outdoor, but it's enclosed, you know, with walls. And it's got like three stages, but not... Not three stages like a festival, like they're all far, they're all connected. There's the main one right in front of you, then there's a little one perched up to the right that would have some vocalists and other instrumentation dudes up there. Then another smaller one to the left, because you got 30 motherfuckers, so they're all there, and it's sick. And they do the album, they only did one album, they do the album in its entirety, in order, which I like. So I'm there alone. Ain't no one come with me. Probably had a couple cocktails. Uh, got a couple joints to blaze. I'm in the crowd, dolo. Super excited to see this group that I've been fucking rocking out their album all year. And they don't tour. They don't do a lot of shows because they're all individual artists and bands in a super group. So that's a lot of people plus 30 fucking artists. That tour would be nuts because then you got your crew, which would have been insane. The amount of trucks and buses. So anyway, they're at South by Southwest. I'm dolo. I'm in the crowd blazing. They, they're doing the album in the order. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm at home or with headphones on or something, just zoned out, enjoying the album, even though there's a lot of people around me, but everyone's grooving to it, and it was so fucking incredible to watch these guys pull it off, and it sounded just like the album. Sometimes you go see people live, they don't sound like the recording, and that could be cool. Maybe they, do, they switch it up purposely. They're a little more live. Sometimes it's very disappointing. Because they can't pull off live what they did in the studio. There's magic that happens in the studio. 
engineers can help with that. Some artists, some MCs, they have to punch the vocals. They can't rap that shit live, and it's a bummer. And there are some artists that are better live and just because of the energy they bring, but their recorded material just eh, don't hit right or it, whatever. These guys, it was like the same and it was perfect and I fucking loved it. And I left the show and I went back to my hotel and I felt great for the show the next day that I had. And I was in a euphoric state and that was a very memorable show where nothing too crazy happened, but I fucking loved it. Fucking awesome. Boston Calling. That's a new music festival in Boston that started, I don't know, oh, 10 years ago almost, or nine. They were doing it in a like city hall area, government center area, outdoors, in a place with horrible acoustics on the brick ground. Now they do it, I think, by Harvard or some shit in some football fields. Probably way better. But this year, uh, Nas is headlining, and the Roots are backing him. I think the Roots play first. Roots and DJ Green Lantern. And my boy, shout out to my man Dom, that's my, my guy, brethren right there. His uh, lady at the time was working the festival in what capacity, I can't remember. But either way, she got free fucking ticks for me, him, and my boy, Evil Earn. Shout out to my man, Evil Earn. Incredible producer. Does the Damage Goods intro music that y'all listen to. So we get tickets, and uh, we're walking to the show. We're not catching any of the opening acts, but we're drinking Selignac. If y'all don't know what that is, it's cognac, Selignac, cognac, but it's a way lower tier. It's not Remy. It's not Henny. It's not Pierre Fernand. It's nothing fancy. It's kind of sweet and shitty. It's almost like the E&J of uh, cognac. We're drinking that, and it's the summer, so it's a little, not the right weather for cognac. It's a little warm. Uh, the cognac the weather's very warm but whatever we're having a blast and we're side stage and we get to watch this and uh, the roots are back in Nas which is sick and Black Thought's up there doing the ad-libs and then they do Life's a Bitch and uh, Black Thought does AZ's verse which I, I thought was dope just because I love Black Thought and it's a sick verse you know uh, depending on who else would have done that or whatever you could be like nah, I don't know that's suspect but it was sick and they killed it and, uh, you know, Green Lantern's up there. And it was dope. And, you know, side stage ain't the best place to watch a show. You want to be, like, front of house. You want to hear the audio. And like I said, the, the, the venue, use that word loosely, they chose for this uh, show it is, or this festival is not great. So the sound ain't good out there anyway. So we're side stage. But, you know, like I'm spitting distance from Nas and the Roots and it's sick. And I'm there with a couple of my fucking closest friends. And we're having a blast. And that was a very memorable show just because of, like, the the friendship, the homieship, and not having to be out there in the madness with people and uh, sipping warm-ass cheap cognac on a summer night. and Yeah, fucking great concert, dude. Great fucking times. And, uh, and the list continues. And I'm not advocating anybody do uh, anything I do or people I know do in these, in these concert situations. These are just some stories. Not to glorify, remember, these aren't the best concerts. These aren't the, oh, my God, sometimes they are. Some of these um, are some horrible situations, uh, tragic ones that I'm not making light of and I'm not trying to, I don't know, glorify and make cool for me. Um, like this next one isn't particularly, it's memorable, but not because it's a good memory. Memorable doesn't have to mean good. I think that's what we think, but you're going to remember certain shit that went down in your life that's, fucked up it might not have happened to you but you might have seen it and might have been around it so um this is around 2014 ish i still live in i'm in boston but i'm going out with another boston homie to visit some peoples in la 
uh, coincidentally, all Boston friends of ours who live out there. And there's this, uh, this music fest called Hard Fest, which is an interesting choice for a title of a festival. It's mostly like electronic music. You know, at this time, probably a lot of dubstep, dubstep, which I'm not really into. But I got some friends that work for some of these artists. Also, uh, Flying Lotus was DJing and Disclosure was playing. This is like right when their first album came out. And they were pretty dope. I'd seen them a couple times already live. And then, you know, there's these other DJs and artists I could care less about. But uh, it, it tends to be par for the course at a lot of EDM shows, especially like festivals. Like all live music festivals, you know, people drink and do drugs. But at shit like this, you know, a lot of people would like to roll. Molly had made a kind of a big comeback at the around this time. So uh, we're rolling to the show. And some of us have tickets because one of our boys bought some. Two of our homies with us don't have any tickets or they bought like bunk ones. I don't really know what the fuck happened. And I'm like, how the fuck are y'all going to get in? But anyway, you know, people are resourceful and persistent. So... Uh, while four of us roll in, um, the other two are like looking for tickets. Part of my memory is like crap. Maybe they scalped some tickets and they were fake. I think that's what the case was. But somehow, with um, a little suave use of the language or just looking confident like you're supposed to be where you are, they got in with these tickets. And there was multiple levels of security. There's you know, one thing you go through where they think they just check your ticket, then you get to the next one where it's, you know, they scan you, they empty your pockets looking for not shit that don't belong in the festival. And then another third one, another gate where you just, I think, scan a ticket again. So like three little uh, levels of security. The second one was the, the hardest. They got in with these, these bunk-ass tickets. We were kind of worried because we'd been in there for like an hour and a half. And we're like, fuck, dude, those guys are fucked. And then I came through the gates and it was like, oh, shit, you know. It's like your boys had made a, you guys had made a prison break and then, yeah, two of the homies got left behind. But then, you know, later when you're all camping in the woods, huddling by a fire for warmth, you see their shining, smiling faces and you rejoice. So, um, you know, we brought some thangs into this. You can buy like, you know, $18 beers in there, but that's not what we was going for. So dudes brought some ganja to smoke and a lot of these dudes, uh, you know, they wanted to roll. And, you know, Jake the Snake, fun fact, I don't really fucking enjoy Molly or Ecstasy. I know MDMA is supposed to do wonders for depression and PTSD and things like that. For me, it just makes me fucking down. Makes me depressed. Not while I'm doing it. That's a great time. It's afterwards, the next day. It's the worst come down for me. It makes me hate life and hate myself. So I tend to stray from it. So I was just going to blaze a little. But, um, you know, we all had to, like, bring these things in. And this is all small stuff other than the joints. I can't remember how we got the ganja in, but whatever. So at the time... Um, I'm kind of like neurotic, OCD, if you will, about uh, flossing or using toothpicks to get food out of my teeth. I feel it in there between my teeth after I eat. drives me crazy. Can't focus. Can't do shit. So I carry around these kind of like fancy toothpicks with me, double-edged. They got a little brush, whatever. And for a long time, I was carrying around floss as well. Now, you drive in a car. You can't whip out the dental floss or maybe a dinner, but in the bathroom somewhere, I'd floss it out. Use the toothpicks in the meantime, in those instances where I couldn't get to the with the floss and recently before this this festival stuff i'd had a root canal the the first and only i'd had and if you've never had a root canal they're fucking awesome just a great time at the dentist's for i don't know how many hours staring at the ceiling it's fantastic nah it fucking sucks um and after that root canal i was even more uh ocd and 
conscious of taking care of my teeth to a crazy degree. So we roll in there, and within my um, dental floss thing, you know, like you can crack them open, and there's the circular thing where the floss is. I was hiding, or may or may not have been allegedly hiding some of this molly, what have you. And then you close it back up. So anyway, you know, we go through the second level of security and emptying the pockets. And the dude who I'm, you know, being searched by, he sees the, the floss and the toothpicks. He's like, oh, man, yeah, you really care about your teeth? I was like, bro, I just had a fucking root canal. They're expensive and painful. I ain't messing around. He's like, I hear that, man. Good, good, good for you. Let's me go in. So my little method worked. And, uh, and it wasn't even for me. It was going to the homies. I think I did partake a little because I saw how much fun they was all having and just blazing there. The music really isn't my forte except for those other two artists I wanted to see. And it's tough for the snake man to be there at some live dubstep shit and you're not totally out of whack. I mean, you gotta, at least me, I gotta be extra fucked up to tolerate that shit, let alone enjoy it. So whatever, we're all having a good time. It's a blast, you know? We're in the zone. There's fun, fun times, good people. The music's pretty cool. Uh, Disclosure's playing in a smaller of the stages. It's actually like a, a little tent stage. Uh, definitely the smallest of the three. And like I said, the first album just came out. They're getting traction, but they weren't super big yet. And so we, we go to the tent thing, and it's pretty jammed up. We can't get super close, but we're under the tent. We're not too far from the stage. And uh, their, their single with Sam Smith was just starting to make the rounds, and he actually was there and performed with them. Um, which was ill, and that's like old Sam Smith before he kind of stole the melody from that Tom Petty song and blew up. And they're having a sick set. Now, they're on a low stage, and, you know, the, the ground is flat-ish, so, we, you know, you can see heads. I'm a tall dude. I can see people's heads, but you can't see what's going on right from the stage or whatever. And maybe like 20 minutes into the set, and we're grooving. I mean, this is one of the artists I came there for. I'm finally enjoying myself because I think Flying Lotus was on later. And all the other music to this point was shit I was just kind of tolerating. Some of my friends dug it, but I'm not under the influence of enough substance to really be in the zone. But now Disclosure's on. I'm excited. I'm hype. I'm hype, okay? And it's a fun set. And we're grooving. And then there's a little commotion, but not really paying much attention to it. It's in front of us, but going towards the stage. And then the music stops. And then we're like, what the fuck? And it looks like there, there's a little circle being formed, um in the crowd like people are backing up making space and then we're like, what the fuck's going on i'm tall but i ain't that tall can't see what's going on and it's like fuck man what's the deal the music stopped the, the band the artist will disclose just two dudes they look kind of concerned up on the stage like everyone looks a little like i don't know like frazzled is an understatement concerned is is accurate and then you see the paramedics come in and that ain't good this is summertime la it's hot you know outdoors it's hot Someone had, had collapsed. Uh, I'm like, fuck, what's, don't know what's going on. It was like pretty, you know, pretty hectic. Paramedics get him out of there. Some of the friends are walking with them. The band, eventually, like, you know, they, they can, you know, get back to the music. They, uh, I was going to say reconsume. That's not the first. Reconvened on the, on the set. There we go. God, for a writer, sometimes I'm a stoner with words. And, you know, we're all like kind of, fuck, man. I hope that dude's all right. You know, it's hot. People don't always drink enough water. And this is a common problem at, at, at a lot of EDM shows is when people take things like Molly or ecstasy, they are dehydrants like a lot of substances. And they're out there and they're in the sun. If, if it's a festival too, not an indoor show at night, and they're there all day and they're not drinking enough water. They might have even had some, some beer or alcohol, also dehydrants. And they're not having any water to hydrate and they got some Molly or whatever in the system. They're in the sweltering sun. They're dancing on their feet most of the day. And people collapse a lot. I remember there was a huge 
uh, EDM show at the Boston Garden maybe around the same time and like somebody died from I believe like dehydration they were under the influence of some uh, drugs and not drinking enough water and you, you can go down man that's there's nothing to fuck around with so you know the music comes back on and we're grooving and I'm not gonna say you forgot about this but you know people enjoy this set then we're gonna fly a lotus and then we all have to walk out of the festival later and bouncing around and then later you know i think we're at a bar we're like man y'all remember like when the fucking disclosure set stopped and it's like you know there's a circle of people and everyone's freaking out and paramedic came we're like yeah that's fucking horrible man i don't know what happened later on the news find out that somebody died it, this person in the disclosure tent maybe i don't know if it was rows, I'd say it was 12, 15 rows from us, although it's just a bunch of fucking sweaty motherfuckers jumbled up. They died, passed out, presumably from dehydration with substances like this in their system, but they hadn't you know, been drinking any water out there at this festival all day. They could have been there from one in the afternoon. This is probably around six-ish, seven-ish. And it was, it was like, kind of like killed the the high of like the show, like, like, you know, later in the night you find this news out and you're like, fuck man. It, um, it definitely like dampened my memory of the show. And, uh, you know, not knowing what actually happened at the time you're thinking, hopefully this person just going to collapse. Maybe they're dehydrated. They're in one of those medical tents getting taken care of, but this person perished at it. It's fucking awful. Um, it was just a while because it was so close to us. And this is something that was happening at a lot of EDM shows at the time. Young kids, maybe not veterans, I guess, in the, in the way of partying with these substances, especially at an outdoor fucking festival in the sun where waters do cost a gazillion dollars. They don't make it easy to hydrate. It's not like there's water fountains everywhere. So people often, you know, forego that. And if you're at a, at a show or a festival and you're drinking, you kind of keep drinking, right? You're going to keep going to the bar and maybe then you will be getting some water because you're there. But if you're rolling or something and you're not drinking any alcohol, then you're not going to the bar, the, the concession stands or whatever. You might just kind of fucking forget to drink water, which believe it or not happens, which is crazy because you need it to live. Drink water. If you drink wine, Red wine, I have a glass of water with every glass of wine. I and mean, when I go to the bar, I try to drink a glass of water for every alcoholic drink. You're in the sun, drink some fucking water, dude. Uh, drink more than you think. You'd rather be sweating and pissing it out all night than, you know, dry mouth, dry skin, and fucking passing out. Collapsing. Um, yeah, dude, hydrate. If you're going to party, kids, party responsibly. All right, the next uh, show on my memorable concerty live show things it wasn't much of a concert it was a comedy show with some live music um and it was seeing dave Chappelle and john mayer kick it for about two hours um after each doing their own sets at this little spot in beverly hills it's called the peppermint lounge and uh it's small it's kind of fancy and upscale and one of my good friends is in town from hong kong and he gets tickets to this this show that like I nobody even knew about it. it was like a surprise show and it's Chappelle and John Mayer who are homies this is four and a half years this is the around New Year's right before 2020 yeah right before like the you know the pandemic so he's like yo I got tickets to this like we're, my friend from Hong Kong is with me he's here and his girl and why don't you and your girl come? We're like, fuck yeah, of course. I mean, I've seen Chappelle a few times, but, you know, never going to turn it down. And this is a really small place. It's an intimate club. And the night we're there, there is some people standing. The bar is like a circular bar in the middle of the room. There's people standing around that. But they got all these big booths and, and, and chairs out. If you go there, usually for stand-up comedy, whatever, it's mostly standing. 
My boy, who's a balling ass motherfucker, it was his boy who's even more balling. I guess this dude owned like a couple basketball teams in China, which is a wild sentence, owning a couple basketball teams. And he didn't speak English, neither did his girl, but they were cool as fuck. And my boys, you know, like the inner, uh, you know, the inner, the inner go-to. God damn, I'm a space cadet. He's, you know, translator, whatever, but we're there. And it's, of course, the booth that they got, it's stage right and it's the closest one to the stage i mean i could have if i had a little longer arms if i was stretched armstrong i could have reached out and touched Chappelle. he was you know pretty fucking close and he's chained smoking cigarettes and blunts on stage which is something that you know you can't smoke in these venues and they usually try to shut you down even on stage but he was rocking for a minute and they didn't say shit but you know russell simmons was in there wiz khalifa like a lot of uh, you know industry type folks it was a fucking fancy affair and we're having a blast first some young comedian goes up i don't remember her name she did like 15 minutes she was funny it was cool but you know everyone's there salivating for uh Chappelle and john mayer meyer mayer mayer he comes up i ain't never seen him i know the motherfucker play guitar and sing but he does like an hour plus of him just kind of, you know, playing solo some songs, but he's like stopping between uh, songs and kind of making jokes and maybe like strumming around a little bit while he's making commentary and jokes. And dude, you know, he was, I don't think he was trying to be a comedian, but he was funny. I mean, you were enjoying it. And then he would groove out, play some music. You know, people are fucking enjoying it. And uh, my boy leans into me. He's like, yo, my boy has to spend... Uh, a minimum of, of 10 racks at the bar. 10 racks at the bar. $10,000. Mind you, there's five of us. And uh, his, his girl is small, so that means she will drink less, typically. The smaller you are physically, the less you drink. Um, I have no idea what the tickets cost. We didn't pay. We got hooked up. And it's incredible. And John Mayer's doing his thing. So my boy's like, pick something. Pick something to drink on the, on the menu. So I'm like, fuck. Uh, look, he's like, yeah, we got to spend this money. So I point to this very fancy cognac on there. I can't even remember what it was because it wasn't something I recognized. And they buy a whole bottle of it. And I think my boy had a little, my girl's drinking something else. The other dude and his girl ain't drinking it. So I'm drinking this fucking bottle of very expensive fancy cognac. We're having a blast. Uh, then John Mayer's done and then Chappelle comes out, chain smoking, blunts and cigarettes, killing it. Just relaxed as hell. I think this was like the third time or fourth time I'd seen him at this point. And it's, it's great because it's this intimate setting. He's, you know, probably doing material he's written. He's riffing. He's having a good time. Um, and then my boy leans in to tell me that his boy and his girl, the people that bought the tickets that got this whole shit that bought me this fancy-ass cognac, they got to leave because they had ate some edibles. And his girl, maybe she had a little too much. Whatever. She's fucking whacked out of her brain. She's, like, passing out looking sloppy and not in the greatest state. So they leave. So now it's just my girl, me, and my, my main homie. Three of us. Sorry, it's hot. I'm drinking water. I'm hydrating, taking my own advice. And Chappelle's killing it. And then his set is done. He brings my, John Mayer. Meyer? Why do I keep going back to Meyer? Like, it's Meyer Lansky. I just love organized crime. Uh, he comes back out, and now him and Chappelle do like another hour and a half. The two of them, he's got a guitar, and they're riffing, you know, jokes off the cuff. Maybe a little fucking of their own routine that they worked out so uh, god the whole shit was like five hours long they were just going it was so ill obviously you gotta put your phone in the little zip bags and shit with Chappelle which makes it better because you're very engaged with the show you're not thinking about filming shit or did you get a text back is there a work email I wanna film this is a good lighting nah you're just fucking zoned in on, on the performance which I loved and it's such a small club I feel like comedy 
if you've ever seen it in like a big arena or whatever, it's it's whack. You're looking at them on the Drumotron. It's just not the same. Small club is really where it's at. And we were right there, dude. Could have touched Chappelle. It was fucking awesome. That was very memorable. And it wasn't crazy, crazy, except for my boy's girl dying almost off edibles and then just drinking a fucking, I don't know, $7,000 bottle of cognac and getting rocked and leaving and having a great fucking time, dude. Um, I wish I knew the names of the basketball teams this dude uh, owned. And he didn't speak English, but hopefully he understood it because if you're going to go see comedy, it's not like music you could just groove to even if you don't know what the lyrics are fucking mean. You need to understand the comedy to get it, but they were having a good time, maybe too much fun because the edible took her out, his girl out. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a positive one. I had to bring it back up a, a notch because the hard fest story is like you know, a, little, a little sad, a wee bit depressing. Um, next was uh, a hookup, a friend of mine when I lived in New York, I, you know, I'm in the music game. I have some friends who work in the, the biz side of it, not as artists, but you know, they work at labels and shit. They get hookups to live shows, tickets, things like that. My man had a hookup to, uh, it was Erica Badu being backed by the Roots at Radio City Music Hall, which I had never been to this venue. And I'd seen the Roots mad times. I'd never seen Erica Badu. And his homegirl who also works in the industry worked at some label I don't remember so I can't even you know drop it uh, he was trying to hook me up with her at the time because we're both single so he's like yo why don't you take my ticket and y'all go so we go and she's cool I, I met her once with him uh, he was playing matchmaker she was cool so I was like yeah this is not a blind date I'm not rolling up with some fucking gargantuan troll she's a very attractive lady good taste in music we're going to see an incredible show and there's you know, rumors and, and folklore about Erica Badu's backyard, her ass being super gorgeous and beautiful. And I never really seen it. I, there was a video that kind of came out around that time where she's walking around like Daily Plaza in Dallas. And uh, she might have been naked or covered with paint, but everyone was like, oh my God, this is crazy. We're in about the eighth row, Radio City Music Hall. The roots are back on her. She's killing it. I mean, the performance is great. She has this big red ball, like those workout balls you see at the gym or some it was even bigger than that kind of like bouncing and floating on the stage she didn't throw it in the crowd like a fucking baseball game but you know seeing her perform really into the fucking music this girl i'm kicking away is cool and you know erica badu moves around on stage and then from the eighth row and this is like you know my lasik was fucking razor sharp at the time so i could see everything you know get a first uh first hand glance an in-person glance at the 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 ass of Erica Badu, you know she's in clothes and shit. This is not like explicit. I'm not trying to you know get all crazy, but it really she's beautiful and it really was as crazy as everybody was making it out to be. It's like ah, I get it now. I get it now. You know, I was like all right. And uh, the show was ill. Uh, Radio City Music Hall is a very famous venue. I think they used to do like the MTV Awards there or some shit. I don't know. I don't watch that shit. And then um the uh, the young lady and I um. I think we had like a nightcap, which is a drink at night before you leave. And then maybe the next time I hung out with her, which was like two days or three days after that, went back to her crib in Jersey and we fornicated like consenting adults and had a great time. And yeah, it all worked out. So my man put me on to some cool chick that I would end up dating for a while and dope ass concert. And I get to see Erica Badu perform live with her roots and you get to see her ass in person and be like, yo, it is crazy. And it was a great fucking show. It was just a nice hookup from a, a music industry friend and a really good concert and it led to many a good thing. So there you'll see that more positivity, man. More positivity. It's not all just fucking ass and titties, man. It's not all ass and titties. 
although we sometimes want it to be. It's, it's more than that, dude. It's more than that. And I, I know I spoke about it on here many a time. I you know, spent about five and a half years doing the roadie thing, working for other artists, big artists, Grammy winners, and you know, million record platinum ass selling motherfuckers traveling the world, which was awesome. You know? And the artists that I worked for probably more than anybody, um, definitely more than anybody, was the heavy metal band Slayer, the Legends. And uh, it was their last tour. You know, we toured for years all over the world or whatever, but they wanted their last show to be in L.A., uh, at the Forum, which is a legendary venue in L.A. I think the Lakers used to play there before they made the Staples Center, which is like Crypto Arena or whatever, Bitcoin Arena, whatever the fuck it is now. They want to do two shows at the at the Forum, two back-to-backers. And we were coming, it was like right after Thanksgiving. We had did a show in Vegas the day before Thanksgiving, which is the 20-whatever, 3rd, 4th. And then we had a day off the next day in Vegas, which is odd usually when you're on tour you have the day off before the shows unless you're doing you know multiple shows but so we did a show in vegas at the mgm the next day we have off uh this restaurant beauty in essex which is from new york and they open one in vegas the chef owner i guess huge slayer fan and it's thanksgiving and when you tour oftentimes you're gone on certain holidays maybe not like christmas or new year's but i've had thanksgivings in other countries and other cities and states on tour, you know, you do a family thing with the band and, and the crew and you figure it out. Anyway, chef owner, Beauty Essex, huge Slayer fan. He wants us all to come to his restaurant. I forget which hotel it's in, in, uh, in Vegas, but it's super fancy and nice, different than the New York one, which I've been to. And we get this insane meal all in the house. Insane. It wasn't like your classic turkey stuff and mashed potatoes. There was some of that, but there was, you know, like, oysters and crazy like tuna tartars and steaks and it was fucking phenomenal and then the next day or really later that night like midnight we drive to LA we're gonna have a setup day at the forum a whole day just like you know the crew working on shit and then the next day after that is the second to last show and then after that the last show so we'll have three days in LA and I live in LA at this time anyway so but I'm still gonna stay in the hotel that I get paid to stay and fuck that so we go to uh, and we we while out in, in Vegas for um, Thanksgiving and partying and hanging out because we're not driving the bus, you know. So we go to this baller dinner and some dudes are gambling, drinking, doing you know, dudes are at strip clubs, whatever heads are doing. I was probably reading and playing chess alone, <laughs> and some of the other shit. So, you know, we get to our hotel late. Uh, or actually, no, I think we arrived at the Forum early in the morning. We get up, set up day, whatever, and you know. Uh, our merch guys loaded in tons of merch. Slay would make lots of money in merch. And especially like hometown shows like in LA, they're going to kill it. I mean, both of these shows were sold out like right away when they put them on fucking sale. And I think the forum could, I don't know how much it holds like when it's a full arena, but when you do like music, you have to cap out like the back, you know, like it's not like a sports shit 360. It's like 270, you know? So you cut out some of the seats you have to, but it it was a lot of motherfuckers. I don't know, maybe 18, 20 20-something thousand. And so for the setup day before the last two shows, we're doing our thing. And um, Barry Manilow, a music artist some of you know. I couldn't tell you what genre he is. Maybe it's soft rock, kind of slow, old shit. Um, Barry Manilow is one of those artists that you don't really know anybody that listens to him. But if somebody does because he's huge. You know, he travels and tours. I mean, he's big enough that he was playing the forum. And I guess he was the last artist to play the LA forum before Slayer did. And 
his his crew, his merch team or whatever, left a lot of boxes of Barry Manilow shirts. And it's a real simple shirt. It's a black t-shirt, not the softest. Um, and it's just a big picture of fucking Barry Manilow's face and it says Barry Manilow in red letters. Real simple, big and bold, kind of an odd choice. But nonetheless, that's the fucking, uh, the shirt. And there was boxes and boxes of them. And the venue is uh, like the, you know, their crew back there is like, you know, y'all want some of these? Like kind of joking, thinking maybe the Slayer crew is going to just be like, nah, fuck that. But we're, we're in a great mood, man. We've been on this sick-ass tour. It's Slayer's last two shows. There's going to be tons of crazy people coming. Everyone's real hype. So we say, yeah, fuck it. And it's hot in the venue, but it's really not hot out because this is fall, right? We, we grab shirts, the whole crew. You know, a lot of us are cutting sleeves off, making them a little more cozy to work in. And we're doing it, and we're working in them, and whatever. And then the next day, the show comes, and uh, the whole crew's got on these fucking Barry Manilow shirts in the the local venues, like the stagehands, the staff, and then eventually, probably fans and shit. Especially if they see us going out to the buses or trucks, they're looking at like, who the fuck are these? Th what the fuck? You know, it's all these Slayer crew dudes, some badass looking motherfuckers, some regular ass looking dudes, but all you know, veterans on the road, veteran tour dudes. Some of them have been with the band forever. And we all got in Barry Manilow shirts. And the looks we're getting, people are just super confused. I think for the actual shows at night, you know, we either threw on Slayer shirts or black shirts, just plain black. Definitely not rocking another artist or band with a bold-ass logo like Barry Manilow in red with his fucking face right there. Hilarious. I still have the shirt. I should wear it maybe... Um, in a, in a photo shoot or a podcast. It's it's pretty goofy. But we were getting all these funny looks, so that was cool. And then, you know, the the first show is is big, and there's celebrities and people that come out, but the, the, the last one, the next night, it's insane. And the guest list was crazy. I mean, for us as a crew, usually you could get your friends, family, whatever. We were only allowed in one person at all, and it had to be either wife or girlfriend or your mother. So I bring my girl, you know. Um, but none of your boys, you're not hooking up anybody else from tours, you're not doing a favor, whatever. You couldn't because there were so many famous people to show. A lot of people are Slayer fans. I'm sure I'm missing some of the uh, the names of some of the celebs there, but like our, the backstage was a madhouse, obviously, because a lot of these people, these celebs, they were getting backstage passes. They can come and go as they please, walk around, so they're by the dressing rooms and the production offices, and they're hanging out during the shit like while we're still working which makes it complicated but you got to do it because the band wants them there and then even after the show people are hanging out and i i got my whole shit done kind of early so by like you know by the time the band's going on i'm done that night so i can enjoy the show chill out and uh afterwards we're hanging out and you know like uh, members of metallica are there bill bird a comedian i mean everyone in metal from so many bands mad famous actors uh What's his name from Breaking Bad was there. I'm blanking out. Um, Post Malone's backstage, faded. And uh, a friend of mine who I know from Boston way back in the day is a huge songwriter and he wrote a lot of songs for Post Malone, especially the album at this time he had that was blowing up. So he's backstage, he's chilling. Uh, one dressing room, I'm, you know, I'm in there for some reason. I'm like, oh yeah, hey. He says, what up? Not like we know each other. He's just drunk and being friendly. I'm like, yo man, you uh, you know my man, blah, 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 who writes with you. He's like, oh, shit, you know him? I was like, yeah, I grew up with him, and he was all super stoked. He's a tall motherfucker, Post Malone, but he's fanning out. All these dudes are there fanning out for Slayer, loving and having a good time, and sometimes when you're fanning out, you can get in the way, you know? And when we're doing a show as a crew, we always have the cachet to be like, yo, get the fuck out the way, excuse me, even if they're friends of the bands, and they're not, can't do that to wives, girlfriends, and children. We always, you know, are very 
understanding your work around it. But anyone else, you're used like like whatever. But not tonight because there's so many famous people. So we gotta kind of be able to do our job around all this madness or and not fucking lose it. But it's the last show, so it's all good. But you know, you're stepping over, jumping behind, moving around. These fucking famous people just everywhere freaking out about Slayer. It was it was pretty fucking ill. And uh I wonder what they would have all thought, all these celebs and shit, if we still had the Barry Manilow shirts on. Um, that would have been interesting. But we did not. Um, we did not. And um, if, when I look back and think about like even my time as an artist performing or just going to shows, networking, doing the whole thing, I saw a lot of wild shit go down at shows. Not necessarily memorable, like, oh, this is a very famous artist and this crazy shit happened like some of these other stories. But, you know... Dudes might shoot a gun into the ceiling of Western Front, or dudes are getting stabbed at the Middle East, or there's a crazy brawl at the Paradise. These are all venues in Boston and Cambridge. But, you know, I've seen plenty of shit like that go down. Maybe people I knew were involved in some of these altercations or other things, you know? And it was, you know, be close to you. This isn't like I'm seeing it from far away. I'm right next to it. Maybe I'm sort of in the mix, you know? Not any of that criminal shit, but you know what I'm saying? And that was more common than you'd think. Um, and we just kind of would always just chalk it up to like, this is what it is. You know, like you don't go there hoping or expecting it, but you go there prepared. Um, you're not going to be caught off guard or surprised if that goes down. And that was so much of that, that that was wild, but just almost not commonplace, but just not unusual enough to make you be like, holy shit. But, um, you know, working for these other artists as a roadie in these much bigger venues, I mean, we're talking arenas and shit all over the the country and the world, there would be more crazy things. And this is like, I guess, honorable mentions. Again, these aren't memorable because it's so cool, man, but that's just wild shit. Uh, I was at a couple shows working for big artists who, you know, I don't got to say their names, where there were like two active shooter moments, uh, which is, you know, something that started getting a little more frequent at, at, at live music things or you know maybe it's somebody getting mowed down by a vehicle outside or there's that tragic shit at the eagles of death metal show in france you know and that became like a concern for production and tour managers on tour and and, and obviously all the rest of the crews because you're like fuck man i'm backstage i'm not the celebrity that these these crazy fans want to fuck with or, or, or whatever, but, you know, people doing some of this shit might not even care. They're not even there to fuck with an artist or whatever. They're just, I don't know, the wiring ain't right. Some screws are loose. So uh, this one time, we're in West Virginia, glorious West Virginia. I forget the name of the city. It's the big one there. West Virginia is, if you've ever been to Virginia, Virginia, regular Virginia, very different. And do not confuse the two do not even associate the two around a virginian because they will get quite offended i don't know if west virginians feel the same way but they are very different states and west virginia has kind of been known in the recent times like the last decade plus of having a real bad uh opioid issues you know oxycontin cheap heroin probably fentanyl now really bad a lot of unemployment and you know unemployment plus readily available sometimes prescribed drugs or easy to get ones, it's a bad recipe, you know. And um, we're playing a small, like a, like a minor league hockey type arena. I mean, probably only like 6,000 fans in there type shit. And um, I don't know, we're all over the venue at the time. 
and we have radios, you know, different channels. And our, our production manager comes over and he's going on everybody's channel. He's on the backline channel. He's on the audio channel, whatever. He's like, you know, Slayer crew, uh, anybody else come to the backstage for meetings. We're like, all right, what the fuck's up? This is like middle of the, you know, like three, three, four in the afternoon, middle of the day. The, the, the show's probably three hours. Doors are probably two hours away, actually. And, uh, and there's like some hotels right around the area where a lot of these fans are probably staying, you know, they're pre-gaming at bars or whatever. You could see them outside, maybe hoping to see somebody on a tour bus step off. So we get called backstage and our pr production manager and the, the local venues, um, promoter rep, they're breaking down to us. What's going on is that across the street at a holiday inn, there's an active shooter. And now we're inside this venue. It's loud as fuck. So much going on. Sound checks and shit. You can't hear shit. Some dude was in the lobby of this Holiday Inn. I mean, directly across the street from this venue. And he, he was shooting up shit in the lobby. Cops come. He didn't hit anybody. And it, it's unclear if it had anything to do with the concert. Not like he was a fan or whatever. He might have just been crazy. I don't know why he picked that Holiday Inn. I don't know if he was planning on maybe finding somebody there or just because it was a lot of people. Who the fuck knows? But so they call us backstage and they're like, yo, you know, police are got him kind of barricaded off or it's a standoff. So, you know, if anyone's going to go out to the tour buses in the back, you know, go in twos, maybe wait a little bit. It was a little wild, you know. And then, you know, I was wondering, like, are they going to tell the, 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 the crowd, like the people that are in line already to go into the venue, is this going to affect it? And I feel like they're... Their plan of attack was like, we're not going to say anything to alarm people until there's an alarm. It's still across the street, still not in the venue. It's not like right in their shit. So maybe it's better not to make a panic. Maybe the cops handle it. It goes over smooth and then whatever. But I was like, what the fuck are they going to do about it? And uh, thankfully, nobody was hurt. I don't even know if anybody actually got hit by bullets, but they... Uh, they subdued the gentleman in question, you know, whatever the show goes on and no fucking beef at the venue. But it was right there and it was a little wild because we were like, you know, can't go out to our tour bus right in the back in the parking lot. And there was always venue security watches the buses so no crazy fans or whatever pop up around there. But it was like, yeah, that was right there. That was right there. Good old West Virginia, I'm telling you. And then another active shooter moment, we are on tour in the Pacific Northwest in the great state of Oregon. And uh, I don't believe, um, I don't believe it was, it's not Portland. It might have been Bend, Oregon, Oregon, and Oregon, Oregon. Um, and uh, it's a cool little town. It's like a college town. It's not Portland size, but it's, it's, it's cool. It's chill. Maybe it has less of the grudge and grime that Portland has now. And this hotel is, it's one of those ones where like the buildings are separate. Like there's the main one with the main lobby you check into and then there's different ones. So you might have to walk after you check into your building. They're not connected by any like pathway. You'd have to go outside your building if you wanted to go see a friend in, in one of the other ones. And uh, you know, whatever, mellow day. The next morning, wake up. You gotta be by the bus by like I think 7, 7.15. I'm out there a little early. And our production manager, who's kind of the leader of the crew, especially on this tour. The tour manager stuck with band. He's out there early in front of the bus. I don't know why he's not on it. We got the code. He could always go on. He's like laying down, kind of sleeping on his bag out in front. And I go, yo, blank. Like his name ain't blank, but you know, I was like, yo, what's good? How come you out here early? He's like, what? You didn't hear? You didn't see? I was like, what are you talking about? He points over to some of the other hotel buildings where his room was. And there's mad state police, fucking tape, caution tape everywhere. Like a lot of them, like SUVs. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck? He's like, yeah, dude, there's an active shooter in, in 
his hotel room, like the, uh, not his room, but the building that his room was in. You know, this is far from mine, separated. There's no connection inside. So like, I wouldn't hear anything going on. I was like, yo, what the fuck? He's like, yeah, dude, I had to get evacuated at like four in the morning out of the, everyone out of the hotel. So I'd just been out here on the bus or whatever. Some dude who had some grudge against his wife came to the hotel. Not, the wife wasn't there, nothing like that. And he had like a machine gun and some other guns in a bag had shot some shit up in the, his room that he had got. And then, a, you know, sort of like a standoff. He, so, you know, he s- submitted himself, you know, surrendered. Didn't put up a crazy fight. That wasn't a shootout with the cops, but like they had to roll up in their deep. They were still there when I woke up in the morning and was going to the bus. They'd already taken this dude, whatever, but they had, you know, caution tape, probably checking shit out. But it came out later, yeah, this dude had like beef with his girl or his wife and uh, was going to go get her it was his plan somewhere i don't know why he came to this hotel with the guns i don't know why he shot in the room maybe he let it off by accident he had a machine gun feather fucking triggers he could have just done that or just all hyped up and angry they are pretty wild and uh luckily nobody got hurt in the fucking hotel i mean those walls ain't the thickest if you've ever been in them and you hear shit next next door a bullet will go i mean a bullet will go through most walls drywall especially and that was another wild one Thankfully, nobody got hurt there. And then we drove from there, I believe, to Seattle for a show, which was peaceful. No problems up in Seattle. Thank God. Thank God. Taking it back to my days living in New York City. Um, and this is not when I'm a roadie. Um, I think I just moved there pretty early in my New York days. 2007, 8-ish? Yeah, 2007, I think. Either way, Whatever. Uh, my boy Bubs lives out there from Boston. He's living in Brooklyn. I think I was in Manhattan still at the time before I moved to Brooklyn. And uh, there's a very legendary venue there, SOBs, on Varick Street. Uh, known for a lot of hip-hop shows. I'm sure they do other shit, but a lot of hip-hop shows. And uh, he's like, yo, I got the hookup. Of the, there was like a Hot 9-7 was throwing a show there. Let's, let's roll. Uh, Saigon, who was pretty hot at the time, was uh, performing. A few other heads. I don't remember who else. Whatever. So we roll. And we, we're there. We're not inside yet. We're chilling outside. And then my man, Bub, sees uh, Cormega, the rapper, Cormega's manager, who he knows somehow. And Cormega's manager is in a SUV chilling outside. So they're talking for a little while. I just say, what up? I'm kind of just killing time right there. Pre-Blackberry days. So I don't know. Maybe I'm not looking at my shitty flip razor or phone or whatever. Just standing around killing time. And then we hear all this commotion. Uh, and we're like off the edge of the sidewalk, but kind of almost in front of SOBs. And then... Just doors bust open and, and people are running. There's, it's two dudes in the front. Saigon, the rapper's one of them. And uh, he's, you know, he's not a, a tall dude, but he's a pretty jacked dude. But he's running and, and his, presumably his boy. And then behind them, a whole gang of motherfuckers. I don't know, maybe like 15 dudes chasing him. And we're like, what the fuck? And then you know somebody's got a, a, a firearm and you hear somebody else scream about it. And we're like, yo... Cormega's manager's like, what the fuck? Me and my boy are like, yo. And we're kind of like just ducking a little behind the uh, SUV. But not ducking just because we want to see what happens because we're fucking idiots who are just curious. And they're chasing Saigon, whoever this is. At the time, we don't know yet. And they just go down the block. And everyone's like, yo, what the fuck? And there's all this commotion in the show. We, uh, we don't even try to go in at this point because I think they were shutting shit down. And we're like, yo, what the fuck? And the story would come out. Everyone would see the video of it. And this would be a kind of a big deal. Um... Saigon had had like a little turmoil, beef it maybe ain't the word, turmoil with Mob Deep at the time. There was a 
Smack DVD or some shit with him and this other rapper, True Life. They were like burning Mob Deep CDs, with, you know, talking shit. They've been going back and forth. And Mob Deep ain't the biggest dudes, you know, rest in peace, Prodigy and Havoc. They're not physically the biggest dudes either. Saigon, probably a little bigger, but they do Mob Deep. They really do roll deep, you know, and I, I fucking love Mob Deep. And I had the pleasure to open for him uh, two or three times, you know, before Prodigy passed. And um, they're, they're just dope live. I grew up on their shit. I love them. But they roll fucking deep, you know? And this is New York. This is their, their fucking city, too. And I guess what happened, you could see the video on maybe on YouTube, probably. Uh, Saigon was on stage performing. And he had, I think he just had this single produced by Just Blaze come out. He was on Entourage at the time, playing himself. And Mob Deep, uh, some of their affiliates, they might have been there, but, you know, their crew, they rolled to the venue and they rolled up on stage. During his set, you, you know, see the video, they kind of confront him. And I think he, Saigon like slugs one of them, you know, he, he just tees off, hits somebody and then jets for the door, which is a smart thing to do. The venue, the stage isn't all the way to the back. If you were to walk through the doors, it's to the left. So it's not like you have to fight your way out from the far depths of the club. It's not right at the door, but it's, it's easier to probably run out that door than most venues, than most clubs. It's not that far. Uh, I guess he, you know, socks one of the dudes. And uh, they just, him and his boy just jet, which is smart because maybe you don't have any uh, weaponry or uh, what have you on you that would help even the odds if there's 15, 20, and there's two of you. You got to do the smart thing, but you still want to, you know, get yours maybe so that you do that and you take off. And this dude just came busting out the door, just hauling ass in Tim's, followed by so many other motherfucking Queensbridge dudes. It was kind of wild. And that beef would linger for a little while. But the craziest shit about that, Saigon had so much momentum coming off the mixtape game, which were very hot, right? Mixtapes made 50 Cent and Joe Budden super famous at the time. So it was a very viable um, path to success in hip-hop. Then you got on fucking Entourage. You got Just Blaze, executive producing and producing album. You got a single on Hot 9-7. I don't think Jay was on the remix yet. Maybe he was. Swiss Beats was on it too, but it was a Blaze-produced Saigon song. And this was a, a Hot 9-7 event at fucking SOBs, and it caused some friction. And I guess, you know, they stopped spinning this Saigon record, which was getting played. And Entourage was over. He was only on, like, a few episodes of one season, so that's over. And then he's, you know, got all this buzz, but it's, the momentum is getting killed because Hot 9's now not playing the record. The mixtape game is still there, but it started to slowly fizzle a little because the blog is taking over. There's still mixtapes and shit on blogs. Don't get it twisted. But people could go to their favorite blogs and just take this song here, that song there, make your own mixtapes. Um, it's not like the early 2000s where it was just cooking and mixtapes were in all the spots and everybody had them and shit like that. This is, you know, so it kind of fucked his momentum up and I was a huge fan of his at the time and it definitely did something to his career, uh, unfortunately. I mean, he would, you know, still come out with albums and do his thing. Not knocking Saigon all, dope artist. But this was a wild event to be at because it was kind of a, an infamous event at the time of hip-hop. And I thought about sharing some more wild live show stories, some that uh, pertain more to me and my boys when we were doing music, whether we were performing or just at the shows. And I didn't really want to go into too much detail about that because some of that shit is a little wild. I'm not trying to air shit out. I'm certainly not trying to like, you know, puff my chest out and be like, yo, I'm so cool and tough. Look at all this shit I was around, man. It's not even that. And they maybe are less memorable and just wild things. Maybe memorable to me, but, you know, it's nothing worth sharing. Just wild shit. Maybe I'll do a little part two and I'll, I'll break some of that down. But these were just some wild, memorable in the sense that I don't forget them live concert events. 
in live comedy events. Um, I'm not saying they were all good. It wasn't all the best performances. Just shit that sticks out in my mind. Obviously, really good shows. I remember those. But these are special for certain reasons. Not just the performance, but where it was. Who I was with. Was I alone? Was I under the influence? Was I not? Did some crazy shit happen? Was it bad crazy? Good crazy? Weird crazy? A lot of different crazies. But these were very memorable. So, you know, if you got some wild stories, hit me with them. DM me or whatever. And, you know, maybe I'll share it if it's really crazy. We could talk about it. Maybe I'll do a part two, you know? But uh, definitely check out my books, Quicksand, The Waiting Room, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, audiobooks too are all narrated by me. Uh, if you go to any of my socials, you can get them off the links, fucking get the Kindle, get the hardcover, whatever you want, dude. Um, at Jake Frazick on Instagram, J-A-K-E-F-R-A-C-Z-E-K, at Damaged Goods Podcast. If you fuck with me on Twitter, or X, is it X now? It's no longer Twitter, it's just X. X gonna give it to you, X-Men. Uh, it's at J the S, J-T-H-E-S. If you listen to this shit on iTunes or the Apple um, podcast, rating reviews do help. Most people do Spotify now, but whatever. I appreciate it either way. Um, I haven't been to a really memorable concert in a while. Like I'm trying to think of one, but I need to go. I don't want it to go to crazy shit, but I do want something memorable. So hopefully soon, you know, who knows? Usually I've been going to reggae shows, mellow, high as fuck, eating way too many fucking snacks. Way too many snacks. I got no self-control. And yeah, I know there was a lot of ums and uh, and like stoning out on words this episode. Cut me some fucking slack, dude. I stare at screens all day when I write. Sometimes I, I fumble a word or two. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm, I'm parched because it's hot. Or I got a little burnt surfing today. Pardon the ums and the as and the likes. At least I'm not eating on the podcast, like talking with my mouth full. Or doing some redundant played out shit like most podcasts where some dude gets, you know, porn stars and strippers on and just asks them easy questions that are... You know, about sexual type shit, which anybody's going to like. It's like a fucking layup. At least I ain't doing that bullshit. We're giving you the goods that are damaged right here. Very damaged goods. Sometimes the goods are not so damaged, but they might have been a, a wee bit today. <laughs> <laughs>